Lionel Productions. Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 66 of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. In this episode, we have James Skidmore. James is the director at the Waterloo Center for German Studies in the University of Waterloo. James and I sit down, we share some space, talk about what's going on in his area of expertise in regards to online learning, asynchronous, synchronous, and all things in between. And then we get into a really good discussion about ungrading. Such a good conversation that I think we're going to bring James back for another episode to kind of follow up on some things that we've been talking about in regards to ungrading in this current term. Anyway, sit back, relax, enjoy, grab a cup of coffee, go for a walk, do what you need to do. But thanks very much for listening to this episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. We'll catch you on the other side. One. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It is my honor to have with us James Skidmore from the University of, of, of uh, Waterloo. And uh, James, I won't take up too much time introducing you. How about you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and then we'll pick up with the, uh, with the, uh, the rest of our time together. Happy to. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's a real, it's a pleasure to be here. So thanks. I appreciate being asked to, to, <laughs> to be to be able to stand up on a bully and just sort of <laughs> say things. <laughs> so I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, so I'm James Skidmore. A lot of people call me Skid or James. Uh, and I'm a, a prof at the University of Waterloo. I'm in German studies at the University of Waterloo. I, um, I, my, my sort of uh, home field is German literature and film of the 20th, 21st centuries. I'm quite interested in representation of political and social change in those medium media and i uh, uh and i'm director of a research institute at the university of waterloo the waterloo center for german studies which is you know does sort of um we do funding and research projects in all things german and my other um my other uh role or my other kind of interest as a as an educator as a prof at the university is in online and open education. So I've done a lot of, I've done online teaching for the past 15 plus years and uh, created three or four or five, six courses in uh, like online courses. And so I've done a lot of work on that. I'm especially interested in course design and, and structure, things like that. And then I'm also open and I'm also interested in open education and open educational practices and resources. Um, kind of grew out of my interest in online education. And it then in Ontario, I was, became involved with eCampus Ontario. I was a, a, a an, OE, like an open education fellow with eCampus Ontario and things like that. So I became interested in it uh, in that regard. And it, uh, it fits so well with the kind of, some of the things I'm trying to do in online education that, yeah. So now I kind of consider myself a, a practitioner of both. Very cool. So how did you get started in uh, German literature? Like, it <laughs> doesn't seem to me like something that, you know, no, a lot of no. people are just driving through the doors to get well, into. <laughs> you know, they should be. <laughs> they should be. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's um, everyone asks me that. And uh, there's often the same, well, you're not German. So what are you doing in, uh, in, um, in that? But you know, that's, that's beside the point. I, um, uh, so I grew up in Saskatoon and, uh, when I finished high school, I wanted to take a, a kind of a gap year. We didn't call it a gap year back then. We called it not going to university year. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, I was familiar with the Rotary Youth Exchange Program. So we had Rotary Youth Exchange students in our school. We had a, a guy from Brazil. I remember hanging out with and a couple other people. So I became interested in that and I applied. And they accepted me and they came back to me and said, okay, we can, 
we have two options for you uh, in terms of where to go uh, for your program. I said, great, where, where would it be? And they said, New Zealand or Germany. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, and I, and I do not, I did not speak German at the time. I had, I knew nothing about Germany. The only thing I knew about Germany is what every 17 year old kid knew about Germany, you know, Nazis and all that stupid stuff. And I thought, well, I can get to New Zealand on my own. I can speak English. Maybe I should go to Germany and just try that. So I did. And so I went to Germany, lived there for a year, uh, attended high school, uh, lived with a three or four different families. Rotary kind of rotates you through different families. Uh, it was really hard at the beginning because I didn't speak German. I felt like a fish out of water. I'd, I'd never really, I'd been, I'd been to Ottawa and Quebec once in my life. That's, and other than that, I'd never been out. Uh, I'd never been East of Manitoba. Uh, I'd never been South of, you know, Regina, you know? And so I was just, well, no, I had been, cause I'd been to Vancouver. So I had okay, been South yeah. of Regina, but I'd never been to the States or anything. So I was just, I was completely, I was uh, really out of it. And learning German was tough and trying to, and just being like thrown into the deep end of a language. I don't recommend it to anyone, but it really, it, it was quite the experience for me. A year later, come back to Canada, start university at the University of Saskatchewan, and I'm taking courses and this, that, and the other thing, and not quite sure what I want to do. And I just realized, but I was taking German because I really wanted to, you know, start started learning. I really needed to learn it properly. And I started, it then started to, to gel. And then, and then I took a, I started taking, I was taking literature courses in English and I was taking some French courses. I was starting to learn, like to really learn French, taking some French literature courses and German literature courses. And I just became really interested in literature. And then when it came, uh, I just had the opportunity to, and uh, basically the, the chair of the German program came to me and just kind of, he basically just offered me an MA. He said, come on, do an MA with us. Well, we have money for you, et cetera. And that, that I was really lucky. And that kind of brought me into, into the, into an MA in German, as opposed, I, I did a, my BA was French and German, but that brought me into the German and my BA could have been French, German, and English if I, you know, taken another half a year or something. So, so that's how I got into it. And then, and then I went down to the States to do my PhD and um, yeah. And that's how I got into German. It's, and it's, it's just, it's really, it was that one, you know, deciding whether I wanted to go to a country, you know, known for sheep or a country known for, you know, beer. <laughs> and I was a 17 Well, that's a no-brainer on my point, right? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, you know, so and now you know about my, about my you know, decision-making process, how it hey, works. well, you know, <laughs> can't say it'd be any different than mine. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh, well, man, I mean, and what an experience. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm very close still to one of the families I lived with, you know, 40, really? over 40 years ago. Yeah. I, the, 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 my host in Germany, you say your Gastvater and your Gastmutter, your host father, your host mother, my host father from this one family, he just died um, two months ago and I was heartbroken and I couldn't, I couldn't go, you know, and I was texting with the host mother every day and the kids, I know the parents better than the kids, but you know, we're, and I was, I felt so, I, that's where the pandemic really hit home for me was the inability then to, 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 to be close to the people you, you cherish. But that, those kinds of connections, I mean, that's to have a kind of a second, and a, there was another family I was very close to as well, but the, the parents that passed away a number of years ago. But to have that kind of, to have that opportunity that to develop those kinds of uh, uh, friendships or kinships even, yeah, really special. So. So put this in a little bit of historical context with, for me, without okay. giving away your age a little bit. So when, well, when you go to Germany, is there still East and West and, and is there still yep. the wall there? Yep. What was yep. that like? That was, that was, that was really interesting. So we, uh, the Rotary arranged a trip to take us, uh, all us uh, Rotary Ausdauschüler, the exchange kids to Berlin. And so we spent a week in Berlin. And so we, and we spent a day, we, we spent a day where we went to East Berlin. You could get visas. You'd you'd pay twenty five marks at that time. I don't. I can't remember what that would have been in dollars. But you know, you pay this visa fee, and you you go across the border as and as a Canadian, you're allowed to do this. And you could spend the day there, and you and you and you basically this twenty five 
marks, you, you exchange the West German mark for the East German mark at one to one. Now the real exchange rate was one to four, one West German mark for four East German marks. But this was a way for East Germany to get Western exchange. And we spent the we spent the day there, and what and, and that day I'll never forget this. This this is a short little story, but it, it talk about an interesting experience for a seventeen year old or eighteen maybe at that. No, I was still seventeen at that time. I think. Anyways, went to a restaurant with a couple of the other kids. We uh, together. One of them named Hilly, a guy from Texas. He's passed away just a couple of years ago, but nicest, funniest guy. And we're in this restaurant and we, we order beer and lunch and they bring us the beer and whatever. And he's, he grabs his glasses and these glasses don't seem very strong. And he breaks the glass <gasps> beer and the beer goes everywhere. <laughs> the glass and everything. <laughs> and the waiter comes over and the waiter's really upset because it's yeah. such a mess and he has to clean it up, et cetera. So that's all taken care of. End of the meal. We asked for the, the, the bill. We got the bill. We pay the bill. And you pay right at the table to the to the waiter in cash, and he goes away. And we're looking at the bill, and we're saying that that doesn't make that that doesn't add up, right? This is we've been overcharged. And when we're discussing this, we're trying to figure it out. And a man comes over to us, and he says, "Are you having a problem with your bill?" Like another customer, he got up from his table, he was leaving, he came over, and he said, "Are you having a problem?" He said, "Well, we just don't think this adds up." And he said, well, "Give me the bill." We hand him the bill. He walks over to the waiter, hands him the bill takes out his wallet, shows his ID to the man, walks out of the restaurant. The waiter comes back to us and gives us change back. He gives us the, he'd overcharged oh. us. Now, I am no fan of authoritarianism. Yeah. Uh, I've studied a lot now about East Germany and about how that government worked mm. and how it, um, how it uh, impinged on the freedoms of its people in many respects and, right. you know, dissidents and that. But, there are some good sides to authoritarianism, sure. and one of them is, you know, you you you. It's a well, it's a horrible example of how you keep people in line. Yeah, but it's no kidding. But it it that was that was eye opening for me. Wow. And, and, and that and then later I I developed um, one of the families I was living with. Their son was my age, a little bit younger than me. His godparents lived in East Germany in Leipzig. So we, he and I went to visit his godparents and the extended family, like a kind of a three generation family. And one of the kids, they were very active in the Lutheran church, this family. So we went with the kids to kind of a bubbles, a Bible study evening at their church. And we would talk, we'd have to introduce ourselves in this circle. We'd go around. And so Gerhard, my host brother, he, I'm Gerhard von Eichen and I'm from Essen and oh wow, that's great! You're from Essen. People were you know excited a little bit because a guy from you know West Germany. And then I and then I said yes, and I'm James Skimmer, and I'm from Canada. And the room just exploded into applause. I I'd never I have never had that kind of reception in my life, <laughs> and especially because I have done and I've done nothing to, to deserve it. Yeah. And it was and it was because. It, People were so cut off. You know, there was no internet. There was none of this. Yeah. It's 1980. Yeah. Things were so cut off that you, that just to have, to, to have somebody from, 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 as they say, Druben from over there mm -hmm. visiting was a huge experience. And so after the, after the, 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 the event or whatever, the, 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 the evening, then there's kind of a reception or just sort of, you know, sitting around chatting, everybody coming over to talk to me and ask me questions and this, that, yeah, it was, I've never experienced that before. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. No, yeah. No kidding that that would still leave an impression on you. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. 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 I can, I can still see that, uh, that waiter, the look of, you know, oh my gosh. And he, comes over quickly with the, with, you know, the money, I can still, I can still hear that applause from that evening. That was that's so amazing. Yeah. That is very amazing. Did you watch any soccer while you were over there? In Germany? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 One of my host families was a fan of the Essen team, which isn't, it's sort of, well, now it's Zweite Bundesliga. And I think even then it was, at one point it was asked, it was in the top league, but it's yeah. dropped down. And so we, we went to a couple of games and yeah, those are pretty, I'm not a big fan of the, of crowds going so crazy that you think they're going to trample you. I'm not a big fan of that, but it was, but yeah, it, to, to be able to experience those things live, like you can watch it on TV and you get a sense of it, but there's, there's always something different about being there directly. Right. 
And we're, we're, we're seeing that now in education right? because we're, 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 but that's, that's something that really, um, yeah, those going to soccer matches and things like that. Uh, great opportunity. To, to yeah. No kidding. My son went to Europe to, uh, to play soccer and, uh, oh, really? oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, he's back now. He didn't stay very long cause it, it wasn't his gig, but, mm. uh, he he went and played in in Belgium and Amsterdam Amsterdam a little bit and then they oh, went to Germany and they they played a bunch of tournament games in Germany and uh, they they got to tour uh, Breezy Dortmund's facility. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he, my son's a big um, Bayern Munich fan, but um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Has he yeah. been to the Has he been to the um, the new arena in Munich, the one that you know, no, the no, bubble—that's an amazing stadium. Yeah, yeah, I know he hasn't been to Munich, um, but yeah, he was saying the same thing. Like <clears throat> they they went to the—I think they were playing. Can't remember how many tiers. I think it was playing third tier, mm-hmm. and uh, and they had their own. They had their own like clubhouse and this whole smorgasbord <laughs> set up, and and he was just like, I you do this every game or is this just for us? And they're like, no, we do this every time we get together. Like wow, every time yeah. they played it and it was, it was just amazing. It blew his socks off, but um, yeah. 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 Soccer is so cool. Soccer's religion over there. That's right. Oh, yeah. Anywhere in Europe really, but um, yeah, very, very cool. And so you, you now uh, are teaching at the university of Waterloo and uh, you are in uh, German studies and German lit and German movies. Um, and you're interested in online teaching and you mm-hmm. said you've been doing online now for, for over a decade, yeah. <laughs> probably, probably before there was a such thing as online learning before there was an internet. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. No, I was, well, yeah, I, I started at Waterloo in 2000 and at that time, Waterloo was still doing correspondence courses and Waterloo's always been big in the correspondence and now in the online education game, but they were big and they were, they were, I think Canada's largest correspondence school, maybe other than maybe um, Athabasca. And they, um, and so when I started in 2000 and just at that time, they were starting to, de- they were just beginning in that, that year and the next couple of years to start developing online courses. And they'd even developed, the university had developed its own learning management system called UW1. And uh, so when I first got involved, it, we were using UW1. And the thing about UW1 is that I could design the course and author the course, but I couldn't do any of the actual, I couldn't change anything. I couldn't, if I wanted a, something to look different or to, to, I had to ask somebody to do it. And then, uh, and then around 2004 or five, um, UW then went uh, they then went with Angel, which is now part of Blackboard, and they uh, and they went with Angel, and so so the first courses that I then could really author on my own kind of were then through Angel, and then in 2010 we switched to Brightspace, well D- D2L, which is a local company started by a. A UW, I don't know if he graduated, but he was in UW engineering. And, uh, and so then we, we were, went to the learning management system they were offering. Um, and um, it was an open competition kind of thing. And, and so we've been using D2L since. But yeah, so I started with this UW1, which in many ways, the design of it was really good. I, I always, it, I think par- partially how it was designed in terms of the, the structure of how things would look on a screen um, left a really good impression on me. And, and you see it in some, are you familiar with consensus? It's yeah. It, it, it had that kind of look to it a little bit. Yeah. With, you know, good, really, really good left hand navigation system and, and that kind of you know, the, the navigation bar on the left, that kind of thing. Yeah. Very cool. And so, um, what have you, what have you learned about online learning in the last number of months since we've done this pancake turn? (laughs) Is it the great pivot of 2020? The great pancake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Pancake. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fell on our faces. Um, I've learned a couple of things. 
I've um, I've learned that. Uh, what I, well, one thing I've learned for sure is that the the asynchronous approach, which I've been, which I had been doing up until this point, is still valid. I thought that with the with the the pivot and coming at the same time as you know this kind of technology that we're using right now to talk to each other had really solidified and really come into its own really in the past say five years um that that would put asynchronous learning on the outs it would it would kind of kick it to the curb and everything would have to be would people would want people would want synchronous maybe difficult to do because it's just the 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 scheduling and with the pivot of course the so many teaching centers, et cetera, were recommending, no, no, go to asynchronous because it's, it's, it's easier to manage. Um, but I, I found then teaching in the fall, in the winter terms, I'm teaching asynchronously with some synchronous elements, i.e. we do have some events that are live that students can attend, but all optional in my case. I found that, that it's still, it, it works. It works well. Um, a lot of students appreciate it. They they realize that the that it's possible to have synchronous teaching and learning that's engaging if it's well structured if it's well designed and that that really came home for, that came home for me especially in the fall term last fall terms so fall term 2020 where I taught a grad seminar a grad course in online teaching and learning I'd never taught such a course before but we saw in the spring that you know we knew which way things were headed and i offered i said well you know i do a lot of online teaching and i could teach an online a course on how to teach online and i was slated to teach a grad course in our program and uh and so the department said yeah let's let's do that let, let's get do that and i did that and so and so a lot of those grad students came in they and we opened it up to you know we had students from other couple of different universities and different programs within the university. And so it wasn't a German course. It was basically just, you know, general introduction to online teaching and learning. And at the end of the term, uh, in having kind of a final discussion with the students, one of their biggest take, I said, so let's talk about takeaways. What are, you know, basically your question, well, what have you taken, you know, what's, what's left an impression on you? And again and again and again, the students said, yeah, didn't think it was possible, but asynchronous learning works really well. I felt engaged. I did not feel, uh, you know, uh, alone or apart or, you know, marginalized. And so that to me was really, it was really reassuring because it, it, it indicated to me that you can create really valuable educational experiences that don't have to depend on me kind of animating the show. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most engaging person, frankly, and I'm kind of a dull guy. And, and so I, I've, I'm always been a bit nervous about having to be sort of at the center of a, attention. And, and that's, and that's what I really like about asynchronous learning is that it, it, put, it kind of, it, it, it does what we want flipped classrooms to do, right? It puts the content you know, front and center and kind of gets people focusing on that and, and getting the students to, to, to take on more of the kind of the, the 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 medium to heavy lifting of learning, and I thought that the I to hear that from students was really reassuring. And I and I and this term I have I'm teaching a course and I've been asking students I've been doing some uh, sort of midterm kind of check-ins with them this uh, past week, and I've been asking them so how are you feeling about how the course is run you know we have we it's a it's a book on it's a it's a course on on that has film and literature in it uh, and so i we and we so the the live elements are called book club and film club and so these are optional for the students where i then pose a couple of questions about the film or the book under discussion that week and, and you know we talk about it in kind of a, just a in a kind of an easygoing fashion and I said, you know, so we have this largely asynchronous course. And, said, and, and again and again, the students are saying, you know, I've, I've appreciated it uh, because it's, 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 you know, I, yeah, it's, it's worked well and I'm, and I'm sick of Zoom and I don't like sitting in, a, you know, looking at a screen with a, 
a whole bunch of faces and just, you know, the, and it, you know, when you see those large, you know, gatherings of people in zoom and you know, Oh my gosh, they all look so bored and they look so, you know, and they, all of that. So, so it was a very depressing thing. Now that, that leads me to the second thing I've learned and that is how much, how important, and this is, this just, again, this reaffirms something that I'd always kind of thought, but reaffirmed for me. And, and just this past week, talking to students, I say, so if you like the, if you, so you're saying to me, you like the course. Okay. That's nice. But can you, can you see specifically, what is it about the course that you're, that's, that, that, that's, you know, engaging you? Is it the content? Is it the, this, that, the other? And the content's very interesting. It's about human rights and atrocities. And so people are, you know, kind of emotionally invested, but they, again, and again, they said just how clearly and well-structured the course is. And I'm not doing that to pat myself on the back, but it just, it reminds me. And it's something I was telling my students last term when I was teaching that grad seminar course design is crucial in an online environment, in a classroom environment, you can, you can, you can get by with lousy course design because you go in every day and you explain things to students. And here you find this here and you do this there and there. But in an online environment, you don't have the possibility of doing that. You don't, you can't rely so much on your congenial personality to, to win students over to your, to, you know, to, to engage in the course. And, and so they, they, they really were grateful for, for the course, how, how the way I've set it up and the, the, the clarity of the structure. They, they were saying, one of the students said, you should teach other profs how to do, how to do this. And I said, well, I've been doing that. And I said, well, they're not, they're obviously not listening to me. She said, oh, yeah, you know, you can't, the courses are not set up, but I can't find anything. And, you know, she was having a bit of a rant, but it was, that really surprised me. It surprised me in a way. And I thought, gee, don't people see that? But maybe they just don't, they don't see that. And that. And that, so if you, you know, people say, well, online teaching doesn't work. I didn't like my online courses. So there are no, well, how well were, how well were they structured? How was it put together? How did it, you know, if you had a really good one in terms of structure and that, would you have been happier about the online uh, learning experience? And I think you would have been. So that, those are, those are two, that's a long way of saying those are two big takeaways for me that asynchronous works and, and, you know, course design, you, you know, Give it some thought, like put, put some effort into the course design. So let's spend some time there. Let's break this down a little bit because, mm -hmm. uh, um, when I, when I hear clear design or good course design, I, I think I have my own perception and yeah. idea of what might that, what might that look like, but can you break this down for us a little bit? So mm -hmm. how would I make my course clear and, and easy to navigate? Yeah. And it's, and it's not that there's just one way to do that. And, it's, and then I'm not saying that my way is the, the only way to do it or anything, but I think you have to, you have to think about it. And I think the first thing you have to do is you have to try to look at it with the eyes of the student and you have to look at it and say, okay, if can I, as a student come into this course and if I've been told go do this, can I find where that thing is and do it? And, um, so, so there's a, there's a couple of things that I've done that I think work well, and I'll tell you those, but I'm not at all saying they're best practices. I'm saying they're practices that have worked in my context of, you know, what I've been. So one of them is that, uh, so I, and we our our LMS is, is D2L. Um, last, when I did the grad seminar, I taught in teams, which is a little that's a harder thing for people to get up and running in as students in terms of just figuring out their way. Once they do, they see the value of it, but it's, that's a little trickier. But so we're using D2L Brightspace at Waterloo. And so I, um, I, I use the module systems. So that's pretty common. So you, you, you have your, you have basically your left-hand navigation menu in your, in the content section. And so I drive students to the content section. I try to get them to go, go, you know, there are many paths lead to Rome. And so they can go to, th to things through the discussions tab, or they can go through the submit tab and things like that. But I try to, I try to orient them to using the content tab and following that because you have that, um, you have that left-hand uh, 
um, navigation structure. And I use the module system. So I set up the module so that, that the, there's a syllabus and then the, the content modules. So in the course, the, this term that we're teaching, we, we read novels from different countries. They're South Africa, Germany, Canada, the United States, Argentina. And so we, so each country has its module. And so Canada, and then, and I put right on there, I put the dates that that module is active in the sense that of what, you know, what we're going to be, you know, you know, during these three weeks of the term, it's Canada. <laughs> so you should be, you should be doing these things. And then I set up, then within that module, I set up different kinds of activities. And I, 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 in some courses, I create kind of a learning pathway where you do this one first, this one second, this one third. <clears throat> Pardon me. In the course right now that we're doing, um, I'm not doing it. Um, uh, so I'm not doing it exactly like that, but I'm, but I'm creating groups of different things that I want them to do. There's kind of four, four groupings within that module. Um, and so I have a, a an activities grouping. Uh, they have a, they get a dialogue partner for each module is kind of a peer that they can work with on anything they want. So they get their own little kind of discussion space. So there's the activities, there's the dialogue. Then I have what are called the prof casts, which are um, uh, my TA and I do interviews kind of like what we're doing right now. We do discussions on the, on the works and we, and, and the students can listen to those and they, they get their own little chunk of grouping and then they have a, they have an, an essay due every for each module. And so that the essay is kind of that final chunk. Now the, that essay, of course, they so when they get when they go in through the Canada and then they go essay and they click on that, they go to the Dropbox. All of the all the rest of the content is 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 built right into the discussion forums. So the activities, so instead of creating like HTML like web pages where you here's here's a reading, here's a link to that reading, and now go over there to the discussion forum and answer a question about it. All of that is right in the discussion forum. So that when, they're, when, they're, when, they, when they go in and they click on it, they go straight into the discussion. Now that seems like, well, what's the big, it's not that much of a difference, is it? No. But yes, yeah, no <laughs> there's, a great, yeah. there's a great German word, yein, which is yes and no together, yein. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and, and the advantage is that, they, that there's kind of a direct connection between the, the reading or the, the activity portion and the, and, the, and the activity, the discussion question that I want them to, to, you know, to be involved in, to, to create that kind of discussion. Or the, you know, the, the podcast that we've created, and then that's, that's embedded right into the discussion forum. And then they can, there's a question that ends the podcast and then they can discuss that question. And that helps students feel like they're, 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 they feel like they're clicking less. They're, they can't get lost. They're, they're right there. And, and that has worked really well. That has been, that has been one of my favorite ways of, um, of um, uh, creating and, and structuring the content. Yeah. No, I really like that. Eliminating the amount of times they have to jump from one thing to another, you know, pretty soon you create this web of confusion, but if you can just have them all in this one central location where yeah. it's all there yeah. and then they have one click to get there and it's all laid out for them like that. That's, that's yeah. brilliant. I love that. Yeah. So I think, so that's a simple, that's just a simple trick. And, and again, it's based on the idea of trying to, to look at it as a student and what would, and what, what's the best kind of user experience, right? This UXDL kind of stuff is important. I yeah. think. Do you keep, do you keep in mind when you're doing your course design uh, mobile applications or do you just not worry about that and let the, let the LMS take care of that? Well, the D2L doesn't, isn't great in terms of mobile application. I'll, I have to go and I have the, they have an app called pulse and I, I have it on my phone to see what things look like. And their design is, their design is like, like partially responsive, you know, but not, I think it could be better. Um, I think are a lot of students using mobile devices to do their work that I'm not sure. I was thinking of actually asking them um, this term, like when they, 
I, I do a separate kind of evaluation where I just ask them for information on the actual course. And I was thinking of asking them how, how do they access the content? I suspect most will say laptops. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I, I teach some part-time studies courses and uh, we use D2L at our institution. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, the, I kind of do a, a, a blended approach. So I'll have some asynchronous stuff. And then I actually lecture for about 30 minutes. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I'll use the bongo application and. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. built into. Built right in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do, you, do you use that uh, application or you do, do you uh, not do any live stuff at all? When I do live stuff, I tend to use zoom. Um, I don't know why I don't use bongo to be quite honest. I think, I think zoom, I think bongo limits the number of like open cameras, right? They, they have a, yeah, there's that. And, um, no, I've just used, I've, I've only, I've used zoom or with, when I was teaching the course in teams last term, and we used uh, Teams, which isn't as good for recording. Zoom is much better for recording. Um, the audio is fine, but the picture quality is kind of not as good. Um, but I'm not sure why I don't use Bongo. Bongo is, you know, in language teaching, Bongo can be really useful. That that whole way of setting up a question, then the student answers and uploads their their video or their file of their, you know, them answering the question in that, you know, the target language, which, which we do, of course, in German. That I think is a great, um, I think that's a really good way of doing it. 20 years ago, students would have to phone and oh. answer the questions or they have to send, or they, before that, they'd send in cassettes with recorded answers. Yeah. What a pain. So Bongo, <laughs> Bongo is a step forward in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you, how do you think about engagement when it comes to your, your students when in your courses? Um, how do you, how do you, how do you process that? Uh, well, there's a couple of things I try to do. One thing is, so I base all the activities in these discussions. So I want them. Um, so they, they, in this course that I'm teaching this term, CI 250, um, the, they have a novel to read for each module. And so there's the expectation that they'll read it beforehand. <laughs> Great expectations by Charles well. Dickens. <laughs> and then, and then I provide, then I, uh, these, these aren't really literature students. They're coming, it's kind of a general course. So the students coming from all different programs. So I want to provide them with um, material. And these, these novels are all based in basically human rights atrocities, a, a novel about apartheid, a novel about the, uh, Germany and the Holocaust, the novel about residential wow. schools, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a heavy kind of course. This is really an emotional course, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is, <sighs> it is, it is, but it's, but it's, but you know, the, some of the material we're reading is just first rate. And they, they, and then we watch a couple of uh, films too, as part of this. So they, they, um, I want to provide them with um, contextualizing material that will um, kind of clue them in to the, to the situation they're dealing with in that, in that course. And I do a lot of that through, I do, I do some with me, um, like writing kind of short kind of posts. And then, you know, here's summarizing this idea and then asking them a question about it. Or I, but what I more often do is I have them read other materials from a variety of sources. Uh, some that'll give like some, sometimes it'll be maybe a review of the novel that was critical and have them think about, you know, okay, with that criticism, do you think it's valid? Why, why not? Or uh, an historical piece where the American section right now, we're doing like segregation. And so what's the history of segregation in the U S the Jim Crow laws and all of that. And so they, so they get a, they, they, they get that enhanced kind of uh, background picture to the material that they're reading to the novel that they're reading and then they discuss it and i and the questions to engage them i don't try to make the questions about you know about having the right answer you know who won the war of 1812 is that kind of thing but more like excuse me more like um discuss this you know, where do you stand on this what's how do you view this in terms 
in terms of how, what kind of perspective can you bring to that question and have them discuss that way. And so they, so what I'm hoping is that they'll engage with the material and then through the discussion, they'll engage with each other's ideas and, and with their ideas. You know, I want them to think of, be thinking about the ideas that people are putting forward. It works, so, you know, some days better than others with some readings better than others with some students better than others. You know, there's, there's a variety of things, but that's, that's my main kind of engagement go-to. Um, I, uh, for me, you know, you can have student, student engagement, you can have student prof engagement, you can have student material or student content engagement. And for me, it's the student content engagement is the one I'm most focused on. I'm not saying the other ones aren't important, but that's the one I'm thinking the most about because I really do want them to engage with the material. I really want them to learn things. And to and to and by the end of the course, I want them to know more than at the beginning of the course. I want them to be intellectually having some intellectual growth. I understand the importance of the social aspect of university and how the social how the social atmosphere can, you know helps create you know the community of inquiry that model and and the and the social presence and how important that is for for learning. And so I want it to be pleasant. I want them to feel you know comfortable in the course. I, I, all of that I understand, but I, it's that, it's that student content engagement and interaction that to me is the most important or the one I focus my kind of energy on. I, um, I try to do things. So I, I, um, another way I try to get students to engage more with their, with the work is to get them away from, you know, Get them get their get their minds off grades, get uh-huh. their minds get them away from disposable assignments, right? And and, and getting them uh, getting them to do more kind of genuine work. Uh, so this term as a way to try to do this, um, I'm at, they they have to create a learning portfolio for the end like during term and at the end of the term, I will meet with them and discuss their learning portfolios. It's a small course, so it's time wise. It's manageable and they as part of that learning portfolio they have four essays that they do in the course short essays about a thousand words and they do these four essays and i uh what they do is they they so they do the essay for the the canada module and they hand it in i um mark it all up you know i i uh they i use an ipad and you know use the inking feature on like a good readers the app i use for that and they um, they provide me then with their their essay. I kind of edit it for like copy editing kind of things, like you know corrections, spelling errors, and grammar. And you know, I don't know how many times I've you know tried to explain what a paragraph is. <laughs> kind of those kind of writing things. And then I and then I provide commentary on, of course, they're you know what they're trying to say, what they're trying, the ideas they're trying to communicate. And I don't give them a grade. They only get comments. And then of those four essays, they get to revise two and or they can revise, they can revise all four if they want. They're required to revise two and hand in the original, the revised copy and an explanation as to the revisions. Yeah, well, the professor said this and I disagreed. So I left it in, but he also said that and I agreed. So I changed it and they hand that that'll be part of their learning portfolio. And then when we discuss, we'll then discuss, you know, okay, well, what, how, you know, how well did you do on those essays? And I was, I hadn't tried this before, you know, this is, I guess the term for this is ungrading. And I've been reading a bit about ungrading and looking into, ungrading is like saying defunding the police. It's not necessarily that you're ungrading. You're not taking all the money away from the police. You're trying to say less, how do we restructure police, policing in our society? So how do we restructure, you know, grading and assignments and, you know, that in our society, in our educational society? And so I've done this. And I, as I said, I was doing these like sort of interviews with students, just checking in with them and seeing how they're getting along and poking them a little, come on, get that learning portfolio started and what have you. And I've been asking them how they felt about getting the essays back. So they've had, well, they've had at least, they've just handed in their third essay now. So they have one more to do at the end of term. 
And the, the, res, the response has been uniformly positive. And I was, I was worried. I thought to myself, but I need a grade. I need a grade. And I think they realize they don't need a grade. They, they need to hear comments. They need to, they need to read about, they need to reflect on their writing. And they need to be given the space to do that and the encouragement and the, and the, the system, it needs to be set up in such a way that they can do that. I think this, this approach maybe does that. We'll see what the revised ones look like and see, and see how much they, are they able to, to grow in terms of their um, understanding of their writing? But I, you know, for me to say, okay, hand in an essay, I'll provide comments on it and hand it back to you. And then you don't change anything. You just leave it be because it's done. The, 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 the assignment is disposed of. I just, um, and I, and I feel, I feel like in terms of skills development for our students, at least the students I'm teaching, I feel that the, the, the ability to communicate uh, their thinking clearly is 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 the one that they have the greatest trouble with yeah i could see that i mean it it i've I've looked at i've looked at ungrading myself i've i've toyed with the idea of what it might look like in some of the courses that i teach and um there's always going to be that that interesting conversation that i would have with my uh coordinator and 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 my associate dean about okay this is kind of the direction i want to go and it and i'm not sure how that might fly but it it certainly speaks a lot to teaching them how to critically think and apply what they're learning right and and isn't that the essence of what we're doing is that we're trying to make sure that they're actually learning stuff rather than just regurgitating it on a piece of paper that's going to be thrown out and and you know whatever because like yourself I'm more concerned about them wrestling with the content in regards to the concepts that's in the content Uh rather than just regurgitating a bunch of information and definitions and all that other stuff. I'm not saying it's not important and just saying for me, it's less important because if they're, if they're not using an open resource and they're buying this textbook, that textbook now becomes a resource for them, whether they sell it or keep it, that's up to them. But You know, I still have textbooks that I used in my master's degree that I still go back and look at as, as review documents, because quite honestly, I just can't remember. Um, And and that's what I try to communicate to, to my students is I'd rather you show me in a tangible way that you can demonstrate understanding of the concept rather than tell me the definition of organizational behavior. Like it's just, it's just kind of where I'm at, but yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting I, process that you're talking about. Yeah. It's it's and it's we'll see at the end of term, we'll see what the final result of it is. We're just this is the first time I've done it this way and with the students. But I, I you know, the, the course I'm teaching is relatively small. It's about 20 students. So it gives me um, I've found it actually kind of liberating that I don't have to think about the grade. I myself, I found it just much easier to say, just to, I'm just going to tell you everything I think here. And I'm going to talk to you about how you're writing. I'm going to talk to you about, you know, some of the things you're trying to do and, and how you need to, how you need to reorient your approach to this subject matter. Um, And, and, you know, and the writing about literature, which is difficult because most students don't do a lot of work with literature. So it's even, that's a, that's an added kind of difficulty for them. And it's, I think what I, what I, what I'm sensing students are getting from it. Again, I'll have to find out at the end for sure. But what I'm sensing that students are getting out of it is that they're, they're, they're understanding, they're, they're, they're learning that, What's important here is for them to um, is for them to take on board these these criticisms and these comments and to, to reflect on them to see if that can't make them better if that can't help them improve their writing and to be and to be told you know it's no fun to be told hey you know this isn't working how you've written this and here's how you need to think about it here's what you should be thinking about doing. And, and, and letting them know, and it's okay, because there's no grade on this, we'll reflect at the end and we'll see, okay, to what extent have you grown in terms of, of your writing? And what, to what extent have you reflected on and kind of come to some understanding of, 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 of what's going on here? Can you say at the end of term, 
that you understand more about how how your writing works than you did at the beginning of term. And giving them then that that freedom to 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 work at this without being overly anxious about the grade. The, will the grade at the end be much different than what they would get if they were just given, you know, the the you know the grade with each essay or something? I that I don't know. You could you could do an experiment, I guess, if you wanted to test the the what would change there. My suspicion is that um, they will they will understand that they they will see. I hope when we sit down, we discuss this, and we kind of come up with a grade for them in the course. They'll they'll start to see that grading can be a can be a genuine indicator of what's going on if it's backed up with lots of this you know like this whole process, and and I'm hoping they'll they'll take that then that they'll look at the grade they get and say yeah that's a that's a really that really pinpoints in a number all of this all of this that i've learned about myself as a you know in this course or, or about my skill in this course or something i'm not expressing that as 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 clearly as i um, uh, a more uh, uh, eloquent person could but i think that's the the, the point is fairly uh, evident yeah um, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me because it, it's it's on well it is like removing oneself as the gatekeeper and instead and, and allowing themselves to be the mentor through the process. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Cause I, I often have some international students that, that have a different perspective of my role than, you know, our, our, our domestic students would. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's sometimes it's palpably different and well, yeah, it's almost like whatever, good. whatever I say and whatever I write is just, it, it can, it can, either lift them way, way like high or it'll crush them. And um, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. So at the, at the end of this process, it sounds like you're doing a lot of dialogue with your students about where they Mm -hmm. feel that they are in the process. And at the end, from beginning to end, for me, the sticking point is, okay, you do all this, but at the end of the term, I still have to plug in a, a, a letter grade. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I have to as well. So I, so we'll, um, we'll meet in the, I think it's the third week of April. Our, our term is kind of later this year because they've, they extended the Christmas break and they added more breaks during the term because of the pandemic. Um, so in the third week of April, they'll, they'll come to me. They'll have sent me a link to their learning portfolio where they have to, they have to uh, select learning moments from the course. So from each module, I'm expecting at least two learning moments where what did you learn here and explain that to me. And then they provide the, the, the revised essays and an essay about their learning in the course generally. Yeah. So that's a fair bit of work that, that, that learning portfolio essay will just be to help. I, I won't, I won't grade it or I won't, you know, mark it up or anything. I'll just read it to get a sense of who they are and that'll kind of form the basis of our discussion then when i meet with them so we'll meet and we'll discuss these things and i'll um and we'll talk about so where do you think you stand in terms of um your you know both both what you both how you've how you've uh, grown intellectually in the term if you have and in terms of your kind of objective ability or your objective level of knowledge and and I'm and and then I and I basically just have like we we use number grades at Waterloo, which I find is unfortunate because I think it gives you a false sense of you know exactitude. I don't think you're that you know I don't think grading is that exact, um, unless it's just all like multiple choice tests. So then we so I have like five levels basically A plus A B C D, and I. I'll discuss with them. Well, you know, if you're a C student, you're kind of, you know, and we'll talk about it and I'll, I'll kind of let them know where I think they stand and they can let me know where they think they stand. And, um, they'll, they'll know that in the end I have the final, I have the final right to decide, but they'll, they'll get from me then, um, a rationale as to why I've placed them in that category. And, that to help them, I've, I've the categories. I've named them after um, 
the Star Wars thing. So um, I forget what the um, what's the first one. There's then there there's the the youngling. Then there's Padawan, yeah. and Jedi Knight, Jedi Master, and Yoda. <laughs> and, and so Yoda's the A plus. And the student asked me, "Well, how many Yodas do you expect?" to give out and i said and i said there's only one yoda (laughs) there's only one yoda nice nice but um so i've tried to make it not no a little bit fun to try to kind of give them a sense of you know yeah how do you so you know as a a jedi knight is proficient but a jedi master can teach to the jedi knight so you know so you to give them a sense of what does it mean to be at these levels in a way yeah so we'll see how that works (laughs) <laughs> talk cool. to you in, talk to me in a month <laughs> yeah no that'd be that'd be interesting that'd be, do you find that when you're talking to your students about their grades do you find that they're lowballing themselves and they're 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 not giving themselves a, a good enough estimate or, or what do you find well, i haven't yeah i haven't done this ungrading thing really that often yet so it's so i i suspect that that's often and when you read in the literature that's often the situation that they that they lowball. And when I, I last term, I actually did a version of this in this grad seminar. And most students, yeah, grad students are a little different. They're a little, you know, they're a little cockier. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but a couple really lowballed themselves. Oh, really? Yeah. The best student in the course, I thought, the student I thought had really just was hitting every, just hitting every mark. Uh, they, they were, they were just, yeah, they were just, they were putting themselves way too low. And I, now, now he, he, that person comes from a different uh, discipline and maybe in that discipline, you know, the, you know, you know, grades are not objective, right? So that maybe the grades in that discipline are different than they are in, in how what's expected in ours and what have you. So yeah, that it's, but yeah, when you read the literature, a lot of students lowball themselves. Uh, and there's going to be a couple who, you know, <laughs> think very highly of themselves and to see you know, i want them to have a i want them to have an like a like a, i want them to clearly see where 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 they where they have the you know what they've been able what they're able to do and what they need to to learn how to do i'm not trying to make them feel like they're stupid i'm just trying to say you know here's what you know and here's what you you know you should think about trying to learn this because that could help you in this and that and that's that's the point of that and I don't think you can do that with a, with a, like a number or a letter. I think that that is a dialogue of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And, and it almost seems to me like it, you're going to have a dialogue either way, whether you do it at the front end, like you're doing it, or you're going to do it at the mm-hmm. back end and trying to, trying to uh, defend and, and rationalize why they yeah. got this percentage or this mark or why, why you gave them this number out of this number. Yeah. I would, I would rather have that front end discussion <laughs> than the back end discussion. Right. I, I, uh, I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've, I've taught, so, like I do a lot of general ed teaching in our faculty. And the one time I, I, one course I had to teach in that regard, um, uh, I taught it for a few semesters, like, a, like over a couple of years. And the students in that course, for some reason, that how were the students who were being attracted to that course, they always came and asked for higher grades after they got their final grade. Not not all of them, but there would always be a handful every semester. They'd come to me and say, you know, and it would always, and would be the students who did pretty well, but they wanted a higher grade. And they were just, they were fixated because they, and they, and they and inevitably, they were students who were like at 78 or 79. They want, could you give me an 80? I need an 80 to get into law school. Or they get a an 80, Eight. I remember one student came with me. I had an eighty-eight. He said, "Can't, can't. You, what can I do to get a ninety? I need a ninety. I'll do extra work. I'll, you know, I'll do your laundry. I'll do whatever it takes to get that 90. And I, I just thought, oh my gosh, you guys are just. You're. This is crazy to be so, so fixated on these grades, and 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 it's not entirely their fault either. The way our system is set up, the way we, you know. Yeah, you want to go to grad school, you need this average. And you, you want to get scholarships, you need this average. And you want to be in honors, you need this average. And we we bang that into them too. So we're partially responsible as well. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, James, we are nearing the end of our time together. And uh, it seems like <laughs> we just started. 
because well, uh, yeah, I've been talking too much. I'm sorry. Oh no, yeah, you've been talking great. This is awesome. Um, I'd like to uh, I'd, I'd like to end this episode with you with our with my Fab Five. Oh and, yes, yes. And then uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we'll have you back in a couple months or six months and I'm more, talk, more about, talk more about you your can experience. Tell I don't mind talking. So. Yeah, that's no, all good. That's good. So, all right. So let's get into the Fab Five. Sure. James, what's your favorite food? My favorite food is a, a cake I bake called a gâteau truffé au chocolat, basically a flourless chocolate cake. Oh, that, yeah, that's oh. great. Oh. <laughs> it's really good. It's okay. so good. Yeah. I, may, I may need a recipe. Um, yeah, I'll send it to you. What's What's your favorite movie or TV show? Yeah, I oh gosh, yeah, there's so many. There's so many movies that I've loved and TV shows. TV shows. I have to admit, I am a huge fan of the British. Uh, it was a, I think it was three seasons. It was a Broadchurch. I don't know if you know Broadchurch. Um, it was with um, Olivia Coleman, who won an Academy Award recently for uh, a movie, and uh, David Tennant. He was one of the Doctor Who's, and he uh, he's a Scottish he's a Scottish actor, and it's a little town in on the coast of England. And she's a local policewoman, and he's he's recently come into the locale as the inspector in the locale, and they have this uh, crime to solve of a of a boy who's been fallen off this cliff. And they they don't think it's a they don't think it's an accident. They think it was, you know, they think something happened, and they and they investigate that. And it's just it's so well done. I just it's nothing. It's not deep or anything, but it's the acting is fantastic. Uh, Olivia Coleman is just an amazing, she, this character and and then his character, David Tennant said, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, it's available in different, I saw it in some streaming service. So maybe Netflix, I can't remember. Yeah. That seems to be the most popular one for sure. <laughs> yeah. Good. James, what do you listen to when you want to just relax? What do you, what do you got going through your headphones? I listen to, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I don't find them that relaxing. Um, I listen to, um, I, uh, like I have a subscription to like Apple music, you know, like the Apple's version of Spotify. And I like, I like a lot of classical music. And I, so I've been, what I've been listening to lately is that a number of different record companies have set up their own playlists within Apple music and the, the, the classical music, um, uh, classical recording companies, like, um, Deutsche Grammophon. So of course the German ones, Deutsche Grammophon, Deutsche Harmonia Mundi, and these ones. And yep. some of their playlists, I just, I'll, I'll listen to their playlists. Um, I like to listen to have a bit of background music when I'm working at sure. home. And sure. I, I've, I've really enjoyed those. Yeah. So who's your favorite classical uh, composer? Um, I think I, 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 I always go back to Bach, to Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, so Baroque composer, 1600s. Um, uh, just, uh, just his, yeah, I just, I, uh, some of his church music is just, just, tra just transporting. Um, yeah. So I, that's, that's probably my favorite. Very cool. I'm listening right now to uh, Beethoven's ninth symphony. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's I love it, and just the background too of him being almost completely deaf and yeah, yeah, and composing yeah. it, and you know going up to the piano and and putting a pencil to his to his to his head as as he plucks the oh, to, to to feel the vibration oh, to feel wow. to feel the note right yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. okay that's out of this that's, world yeah that is yeah that's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> uh, James what's your favorite tech that you're using right now my iPad. Yeah, I um, I use it for like my marking. So the students hand in the, you know, that. I use it as my e-reader. I do most of my reading now as an e-reader. I know probably not good for my eyes, but um, just so convenient. Um, and I and I use like I use the uh, the app uh, Note Shelf, which is like a, a handwriting app, and I uh, use it as an as my kind of my note takering. So it be, it's become my notebook. You could do that in OneNote too, in that. But I just, I, I just like the way Note Shelf kind of the interface. And I so I I use that all the time, yeah. And it's just, yeah, I find it so flexible and as a as a as a a thing to use. Yeah, yeah. And you said earlier that you use Goodreader. 
when you're doing your uh, Goodreader is, <clears throat> yeah, it's a great app for um, NoteShelf does it as well, where you can, you bring in PDFs and you can mark them up and things and then export them out all marked up. And yeah, that, yeah, the Goodreader is a little easier because uh, for some of the stuff I'm doing with the course stuff, but NoteShelf does it pretty, does a really good job of that as well. Yeah. Last question, James, who's been the most influential person in your life lately? Oh, you know, that's, yeah, I have to, this week, I've been thinking a lot about my mom. She died uh, nine years ago this week. And uh, so I've been thinking a lot about her and um, I have to admit, you know, so much of so many things in my, in my life, like certain values, I definitely have from my mom. And, and, and the way she, you know, brought us up, you know, we were five kids. I was the, the, so I like to say I was the youngest and most, most cherished of the five children. <laughs> um, she, and so, you know, I just thinking about the certain like values of like, I've been feeling kind of lazy this week. I've been feeling like I've been procrastinating the past few days or something. And my mom was a hard worker. And she said, you know, work, work, work. And, you know, and I, and I, yeah, I realize how much I, how much I value that and, and all those things. So I, I've been thinking a lot about her this week and, and how, what an influence both she and my dad, but uh, I've, I've had all my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're here. welcome. Well, James, this has been good. And uh, it'd be awesome to have you back at another well, episode. Yeah, Tim, it's been, uh, it's been lovely chatting with you. I appreciate so much you having the patience to listen to me. Oh, good. <laughs> so I, good. I appreciate that quite a bit. 